Well, good morning, uh, church family uh, scattered in numerous homes across the Atlanta area and maybe further. And good morning to any other friends and family or, or guests who may be tuning in this morning. It's certainly strange and sad to be saying that you are in fact tuning in and we are not gathered together uh, this morning. But I am certainly grateful for the technology that has made this possible and, and grateful for those who have labored to make it a reality. Uh, and in a season in which significant aspects of our daily lives seem to be changing every few days or sometimes even every few hours, I'm grateful and excited to have the privilege of bringing all of you who have tuned in a message from the unchanging word of our unchanging God. Uh, what a blessing that we worship the rock of ages who is our shelter in the storm. Uh, well, I'm not sure exactly what life looks for you on the other side of this camera that I am staring into, but I assume that many of you are in living rooms and you are gathered with your family. There may be small children at your feet. And so in keeping with the spirit of that kind of family gathering, it seems fitting that in God's providence, long before any of us knew that uh, we would not be meeting together in church this morning and this would be delivered virtually, I decided to start with a story. Uh, so here we go. Uh, when I was eight years old, uh, my family and I moved from Austin, Texas here to the northern suburbs of Atlanta and quickly plugged into Piedmont Baptist Church. Uh, I loved, loved Piedmont. I, I made a lot of friends and there was a lot going on. We had Pinewood Derbies, father-son camping trips, Sunday potlucks. Uh, but one of my favorite things was that the church used to hold a fall festival every Halloween uh, for church members and just for families from the surrounding neighborhoods where instead of just trick-or-treating through the neighborhood, uh, you would come to the church and, and basically get candy that way. Uh, there were games set up throughout the fellowship hall. Uh, the kids could play those, a cakewalk, and people distributing candy. It was a, it was a great time, and I look forward to it every year. Uh, well, one year during the fall festival, I don't remember exactly what year it was, probably when I was 11 or 12, uh, there was a large jar just full of M&Ms and a competition to see who could come closest to guessing the number of M&Ms in the jar. You guys probably know the type of game that I am speaking of. Well, I ended up submitting a guess, and I had the best guess, and I won the jar of M&Ms. Now, this would, would seem like good news, but it, it made me miserable, and not because I, I proceeded to eat all of the M&Ms, uh, but because I cheated. I didn't mean to cheat exactly, uh, but I had spent the previous night at a friend's house, uh, the same friend whose mom was responsible for filling that M&M jar and bringing it to the fall festival. So of course my friend knew how many M&Ms were in that jar, and my friend really wanted me to know how many M&Ms were in that jar. Uh, I think I did ask him not to tell me, but you know, we're young boys, he couldn't resist at least giving me an approximate number. Uh, so I went into the fall festival armed with insider information. Uh, now what I should have done, what would have been the, the wise and the right thing would be to have not guessed. Uh, but that is not the choice that I made. Uh, I did enter the guess, I did win, uh, but when it was announced that I was the winner, I immediately regretted it. I regretted guessing, I wish that I had not won, I wish somebody had done a better job than me and entered a guess even not armed with that insider information. I, I felt so guilty. My, my conscience 
conscience just would not let me enjoy uh, my victory. I spent about 20 minutes trying to convince myself to get over it, and it was fine. I don't want to have to, I didn't really care about the jar of M&Ms. I didn't want to have to go back and say anything, uh, but I could not forget about it. Uh, those 20 minutes didn't work, so I ended up going to my friend's mom and confessing what happened and giving back the price. Well, she, of course, was gracious to 11 or 12-year-old me, and they announced a new winner. It wasn't fun having to confess what I had done and what had happened, but it brought me huge relief. The knots in my stomach went away, and it was really as if a weight was lifted off of my shoulders. I trust some of you have had similar experiences. Uh, well, our text for this morning is Psalm chapter 32. Uh, Brad just read it, so we are not going to, to read it again, but I do invite you to turn there with me because we are going to be referencing it uh, quite frequently. Uh, and in Psalm 30, 32, we encounter the words of another man who knew what it was like to carry the burden of sin. Uh, much more serious sin than cheating at a, a carnival game when he was a boy, but yet a man who encountered the grace and mercy of God, a man who knew what it was like to have the weight of sin removed from his shoulders and be forgiven, a man who confessed and placed his trust in the Lord and who encourages us to do the same through the words of this psalm. So we are going to consider the words of King David from Psalm 32. Well, I have three points for us to consider from this, from this psalm this morning. The first is the burden of sin. Second is the path to forgiveness. And the third is our God who forgives. So the burden of sin, the path to forgiveness, and our God who forgives. So the burden of sin. So verses 1 and 2 of Psalm 32 really serve as something of a summary statement. A summary statement of this whole psalm. The psalm speaks of the blessing of forgiveness. Really, the, the whole psalm kind of unpacks that idea. It's a summary statement of David's own experience, which is something that we're going to see as, as this message continues. And then it's a summary statement of the whole Bible. The Bible is a story of God sending his son to redeem man from his sin. It is a story about the blessing of forgiveness that can be found in Christ. And what a, a sweet summary uh, it is that we find in verses 1 and 2. Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. Uh, so David is, is really taking time here to marvel at uh, the, his own forgiveness that he has received and calling us to see the blessing it is to have our sins washed away. And David's reflection and instruction here on the, the blessed state of being forgiven are, are not just the words of someone who knew this intellectually, who, who knew this to be true, who knew this was the uh, the teaching of Scripture. Uh, no, he knew it experientially. It's, it's David's own experience of being forgiven and of having his sin covered that lead him to write this psalm. Just look at verses 3 and 4 of the psalm. David knew the blessing of forgiveness because he knew the burden of sin. He had felt it, just look at the way he describes the weight of sin in, in verses 3 and 4. He speaks of, of groaning, 
of having his strength dried up, of feeling the heavy hand of the Lord on him. He talks of his, his bones wasting away. To, to go back to a, another story from my childhood, when I was four or five years old, I, I woke up one morning unable to walk. I had been totally fine the day before, uh, but when I woke up, I couldn't stand. I had to drag myself across the floor by my arms. So my mom, of course, was very worried about this and rushed me to the doctor. But in the course of his questioning, he figured out what, had been, what was really going on. I had spent several hours the day before jumping up and down the stairs in our home, and I had taxed my muscles so badly. Uh, I had built up so much lactic acid that my muscles just did not work uh, the next day. It had been a lot of jumping. But David's words here bring to mind that experience. The, the picture he paints in verses 3 and 4 of Psalm 32 is of someone who is, is weak, seriously injured, uh, very sick, of someone in a great deal of pain, of someone whose body has been brought to the breaking point, to the point that uh, their bones are wasting away. They can, they can barely stand. Their, their bones can't even support them anymore. David had experienced the tremendous weight of his own sin. Now, we we can't say for certain when Psalm 32 was written. Uh, we don't know for sure the circumstances of David's life that led him to write these words. Uh, but many, uh, perhaps most, think that these words followed the period in David's life when he committed adultery with Bathsheba and then had her husband Uriah murdered in an attempt to cover up his sin. I agree with that interpretation. I think it is most likely correct uh, for one, David made active efforts to cover up his sin during that time. He was not quick to confess. He tried to hide his sin, and he spent a considerable time living under the weight of his sin. And I want you to, to turn with me for a moment to Psalm chapter 51, just a few pages over in your Bible, because uh, it is really in, nearly impossible to read the words of Psalm 51 and not see the parallels to Psalm 32. Now, to, to remind you, Psalm 51 is David's prayer of confession, his plea for forgiveness, uh, following the prophet Nathan coming and confronting him over his sin with Bathsheba and uh, his sin of killing Uriah. But just listen as I read some of the language that David uses in Psalm chapter 51. I look at verses 1 and 2. David pleads with the Lord to blot out his transgressions, to wash him to cleanse him from his sin. If you go down to verse seven, he asked to be purged and for the Lord to wash him of his sin. In verse nine, he asked the Lord to hide his face from David's sin and to blot out his iniquities. Well, that language sounds very similar to what we find in verses one and two of Psalm 32. And so many scholars have understandably concluded that Psalm 51, we find David's prayer for forgiveness and then in Psalm 32, we find him praising and thanking the Lord for him rejoicing for the forgiveness that has been found, uh, the forgiveness that God has graciously bestowed upon David, though he was undeserving, in it, undeserving of it. So we read in Psalm 32, blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity and in whose spirit there is no deceit. 
are the very things that he asked God to do in Psalm 51. So friends, David, he knew the blessing of forgiveness. He knew it experientially because he knew the burden of his own sin. David knew of his need for forgiveness. He, he felt it acutely. And brothers and sisters, those tuning in, I want you to notice that these words in Psalm 32 seem to be directed especially at those who walk with the Lord. Uh, for one, they're written by David who did walk with the Lord for, for his, most of his life and is described as a man after God's own, own heart. He is recounting his personal experience and just look at some of the verses in the psalm. In verse 6, he asked everyone who is godly to offer a prayer of confession to the Lord. At the end of the psalm, in verse 11, his exhortation to praise the Lord is directed at those who are righteous, at those who are upright in heart. In other words, to those who had been forgiven. He's writing to those who knew the blessing of forgiveness and those who knew what it was like to have a right relationship with God to those who placed their faith in God's promises and were faithful to his word. So brothers and sisters, I hope you see this morning that these words are directed at you. You may not be the poet that David is. You may not describe yourself as a super emotional person. You may not feel as strongly as David does, and that is okay. But when you have unconfessed sin in your life, do you feel something of what David did? When you keep silent, when you don't confess your sin, does your strength leave you? Do you groan after a restored relationship with God? Are David's words here at all familiar to you? They should be. Your sin may not be as serious and, and severe as David's, but it is an offense against a holy God. If the Spirit is at work in you, you should feel the burden of unconfessed sin. It should weigh on you. You should feel the burden of your fellowship with God and with others being interrupted. Uh, now, I know what you might be thinking at this point in the sermon, like, wait a second, isn't it all true that all of our sins are forgiven past, present, and future at the moment of salvation? Isn't it true that there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, Romans 8.1? Isn't it true that nothing, even to include my sin that remains, can separate me from the love of Christ? And if you were in Christ, the answer to those questions is a resounding yes. Our sin is covered not because of our own merit, but because of Christ. It is Christ alone, in Christ alone, that we find the blessed state of forgiveness. But... But even as Christians, when we tolerate unconfessed sin, we damage our fellowship with him. It's as if we fail to fully enjoy the blessing of the fellowship with God that Christ has purchased for us. We're not actively seeking to abide in Christ. Uh, we're forgetting the blessed state to which Christ has brought us. So one commentator put it uh, this way. He wrote, when we sin, we lose our consciousness of forgiveness and our sense of peace with God. So we, we lose sight of the fact that we have been forgiven and think we must hide and we try to hide our sin. We, we grieve the Holy Spirit when we do this. And as the Westminster Confession puts it, we fall under God's fatherly displeasure. God is still our father, but we fall under his fatherly displeasure. 
Well, brothers and sisters, that should cause you to groan and long after a restored relationship with God. And friends, if you are listening in today and uh, you are not a Christian, well, David's words here are called to recognize your, your own burden of sin. And it's a burden that is far greater than a sense of God's fatherly displeasure or a lost sense of peace with God or a disrupted fellowship. No, the gro- it, is the, it is the groaning of eternal punishment. If you've never admitted you're a sinner by confessing your sin before God, if you have never placed your faith in Jesus, the true burden of your sin is eternal punishment. It is separation from God. The groaning of spending all of eternity under God's judgment. An eternity never experiencing the blessing that David speaks of in these verses in Psalm 32. Now, this may be a burden that you have never considered before. This may be something that you have never felt. David's words here may seem just strangely foreign to you. And maybe you've never never recognized that there is a creator to whom you are accountable. You may not be able to recall a time when you've been struck by the weight of your sin before the one who made all things. But the Bible makes it clear that all people are sinful and in need of forgiveness. In Romans chapter 3, Paul writes, none is righteous, no, not one, no one understands, no one seeks for God. All carry the eternal weight of their sin. But for others of you, you, you may feel this weight now. You, you may understand David's words. You may feel hopeless, unlovable, stuck in patterns of behavior you desperately want to change. You may be despairing over past failures, and you may have been despairing for years and years. You may feel as if your strength has dried up, and you are looking for answers. It may have been what led you to tune in in the first place. Well, if that is you, know that the message of the Bible is is not one ultimately of despair, but of hope. It's Jesus himself who says, come to me all who labor and are heavy laden, those who are weighed down by sin and by guilt. Come to me all who labor and are heavy laden and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I am gentle and lowly in heart and you will find rest for your souls. Well, Christ promises to take the burden of your sin on himself if you turn to him in repentance and faith. He promises to to lead you and to gently guide you. But you have to turn to him in repentance and faith. You have to stop covering your sin. And for Christians and non-Christians alike, the words of Psalm 32, just like the Bible, are not ones of despair, but they're ones of blessing and hope. And that is because David just doesn't speak of the burden of sin. No, he speaks of how to take your burdens to the Lord and to find relief, to find forgiveness. He speaks of the blessing of forgiveness. But the full wonder of this blessing is only known to those who know the true despair of sin. Well, that brings me to to my second point. So the first is the burden of sin. The second is the path to forgiveness. When God's great wisdom, David doesn't just tell us how wonderful forgiveness is in Psalm 32. He doesn't just leave us thinking, well, that's great for you, David. I'm glad that you found that. Well, he tells us how to find it. David illuminates for us the path to forgiveness, the path to a restored relationship with God. Look back at at Psalm 32 with me, starting in verse 5. David writes, I acknowledged my sin to you 
and I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. Therefore, let everyone who is godly offer prayer to you at a time when you may be found. Surely in the rush of great waters, they shall not reach him. Well, notice how David responded to his guilt and his sin. Notice how he responded to this physical anguish that he was in. He stopped hiding his sin. He confessed his sin. This is the way for you to find forgiveness. It's the way to find relief. This is the how-to instruction of this psalm, how to find this blessing of forgiveness that David speaks of. And pointing people to this blessing is what David promised to do in Psalm 51 if the Lord had mercy on him and forgave him. You don't need to go back there, but in verses 12 and 13 of Psalm 51, David says, if the Lord will forgive him and restore to him the joy of his salvation, he writes, then I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners will return to you. Well, that's what David is doing now. That's what David is doing in these verses. He recounts how he learned the Lord's ways and, and calls others to follow that path for others to humble themselves and repent of their sins. So just as a, a quick aside, Brothers and sisters, be encouraged by David to tell others of the forgiveness that you have received as well. If, if you have been blessed to have your sins covered, tell others how they may have their burden of their sin removed as well. Tell others how they can find hope in an uncertain time. Tell them how they can have eternal security and find forgiveness. Uh, take time to share the gospel and teach sinners the ways of the Lord. Well, David makes it clear in, in Psalm 32 that he had come to see the futility of, of trying to hide his sin. And if you know anything about the story of, of David and Bathsheba, you know that he went to great lengths to try to hide his sin. He went to great lengths to cover what he had done. He uh, committed adultery with Bathsheba and she got pregnant. And that was a, a big problem since she was married. Uh, surely David's sin would be found out. Uh, so David, in an attempt to cover his sin, uh, calls her husband Uriah home in the hopes that he will sleep with her and, the child, and think that the child is his. Well, Uriah refuses to do this out of respect for his countrymen who are still at war. Well, David proceeds to get him drunk, hoping that will do the trick and it will uh, lower his bar for integrity. Uh, that scheme proves ineffective as well. So in one last desperate attempt to cover his sin. David writes to, the, to Joab, the commander of the army of Israel, and asks him to put Uriah on the front lines when Uriah returns to battle uh, so that Uriah might be killed. And that is exactly what happens. It works. After Uriah is killed, David marries Bathsheba. And for a time, it appears as if David's scheme was successful, that he had covered his sin. And let's be clear, if anyone could have hidden his sin, it would have been David. He was the king of a powerful nation, uh, a man of great power. I mean, we can see just to the links that he went, we can see it in the links that he went to cover his sin. But he couldn't hide his sin from God. God sent Nathan the prophet to confront David over his sin. And he sent Nathan to tell David what he had done was known to God and that it had displeased God. And David is far from the, the only example in Scripture of someone who has tried to hide their sin from God. Uh, when Adam and Eve sin in the garden, what do they do? 
Well, they go and hide. They sew fig leaves together or some sort of leaves to cover their nakedness. And though they successfully cover their bodies, they do not cover their sin. Their sin is known to God. He sees it and they are banished from the garden. The curse of sin enters the world. Well, just one chapter over in Genesis, the story of Cain and Abel. After Cain kills his brother Abel, do you remember what God says to him when he asks where his brother Abel is? Well, Cain says, am I my brother's keeper? Somehow thinking that this vague answer that he gives would hide his sin from God. Well, it didn't work. The prophet Jonah flees from or tries to flee from the presence of God instead of obeying his commands. Well, that fails too. In Acts, we read of Ananias and Sapphira who lie to the apostle Peter and as a result, die by the hand of the Lord. But brothers and sisters, ask yourself uh, this morning, how are you tempted to hide your own sin? Though you may laugh at Jonah's foolishness in thinking that he could flee from the presence of the Lord, do you live as if you think that you could do the same? When your conscience convicts you, do you try to distract yourself by, by binging on Netflix? Do you consume yourself in your work to forget about your failures at home? Do you neglect reading your Bible, praying or, or gathering with God's people when that is possible in an effort not to be reminded of your sin? I think we can often deceive ourselves into thinking that if we can hide our sin from others, that we can also hide it from God. That's really the mistake that David made. It's what he seemed to believe. It leads us to lie, to pursue other forms of sin to cover that initial sin. Uh, we convince ourselves that other people need to confess first before we're going to confess our sins. You may harden your heart in pride and, and fail to seek forgiveness. And you think that if others forget, so will God. And this is a particular temptation uh, for any of you who are in leadership, uh, for you elders of Mount Vernon, because you have others, if you are in leadership, who are watching your life. They're looking at you. It may feel like you have a lot to lose if you bring your sin to the light. It could cost you at least some of your reputation, but the cost of concealing your sin is far greater. I mean, how much better would it have been for David to confess to a lustful glance at Bathsheba from the rooftop than have to confess before God and the nation that he had committed both adultery and murder? Concealing your sin is the path to destruction. It's not the path to forgiveness or mercy or relief. So most of you will probably be spending quite a bit of time with family in the coming weeks. Uh, you're going to be spending quite a bit of time with those that you love. You're going to sin against one another. You're going to be spending more time together than you're used to. You're going to be in confined quarters. Uh, well, make a commitment not to hide your sin or to gloss over it in the coming weeks. Confess to one another and confess to the Lord. Be quick to do it. Do not hide your sin. God's word, David's own life, makes it clear that we cannot hide our sins from God. He knows the secrets of our hearts. And friends, if we cannot cover and conceal our sin, then we cannot rescue ourselves from our sin. This, we need someone to to cover our sin for us. This blessing of forgiveness, the blessing of a right relationship with God, 
that comes from being reconciled to God is a gift of God. It is a blessing that God graciously bestows. We see this even in the language of the first half of verse 2 of Psalm 32. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity. Uh, It is not blessed is the man who successfully conceals his sin from the Lord as if that were possible. No, blessed is the man against whom the Lord sovereignly and graciously chooses to count no iniquity. And the forgiveness of the Lord is so complete that as David writes in verse 2, in his spirit is no deceit. In other words, there is no deceit to be found in the spirit of the one who is forgiven. There's no dark and hidden recess of the heart that the Lord's forgiveness does not touch. No sin we must withhold from confessing in fear that he won't forgive. We can take our darkest secrets to him because the Lord graciously forgives those who in faith confess their sins to him. He has graciously given us the gift of his son. So I want you to to turn with me for a minute to to Romans chapter 3, because in Romans chapter 3, well, Paul makes this point abundantly clear for us. I'm going to give you a minute to turn there. We're going to be starting in Romans chapter 3, verse 23. And starting in verse 23, Paul writes this. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. In other words, we we all carry the burden of sin. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified or are forgiven or have their sins covered or do not have their iniquity counted against them. They are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance, he has passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Friends, if you have placed your faith in Christ, Your sins are not counted against you because they were counted against Christ instead. He bore the penalty for your sin. He shed his blood on your behalf that by faith, God might not count your sins against you. You might be forgiven. Brothers and sisters, you have received the blessing of forgiveness because Christ became a curse for you. And look at what Paul says in in verse 27. Well, then what becomes of our boasting? In other words, we cannot boast that we have covered our own sin or purchased our own salvation. It is a gracious gift of a loving heavenly father. And if you flip over to to Romans chapter four, Paul uses the example of Abraham to, to make this same point. He says that Abraham's faith was counted to him as righteousness. It was a righteousness that was not his own. And in verses six through eight of Romans chapter four, Paul quotes David's words from Psalm 32 to drive that point home. In verse 6, Paul says that in Psalm 32, David is speaking of the blessing of the one to whom God counts righteousness apart from works. Friends, Paul's point is forgiveness is a blessing. It's a gift from the Lord. It is not something you earn. It is something to rejoice in, to celebrate, to be grateful for, to cry out for. The blessing of forgiveness is a gift of God. So again, if you're, if you're listening in and, 
and you don't know the Lord, know that this is the way of forgiveness. This is the way to find the blessing of the Lord. It's to stop running from the Lord, to stop trying to hide your sin or or be better than other people in the hopes that the Lord will kind of just overlook your sin because, well, this person over here is way worse. No, instead, humble yourself, confess your sin, acknowledge your burden of guilt, and place your faith in Jesus, the sinless Savior, who came and died that you might live as a son or a daughter of God. It is a wonderful thing to have the assurance that you have been justified and that you are no longer under God's wrath. To know that you have been given eternal life. To be forgiven is to be blessed. And the true blessing of forgiveness is that you get a relationship with God. You get to enjoy the blessing of fellowship with God in part now, and you will get to experience it in full for all eternity. Perfect fellowship with God, unhindered fellowship with God. David knew this. In Psalm 51, he asked that the Lord not cast him away from his presence because of his sin. Friends, if you have been forgiven, you have the promise of God's presence for all eternity. You are blessed. And so with that in mind, I want to draw your attention to our God who forgives. That's the third point, our God who forgives. So much of Psalm 32 recounts David's own experience of, of sin, of of confession, of the forgiveness that he has received. But it's really God that dominates the psalm. It's God whom David has sinned against. It's God to whom David confesses. It is God who forgives and blesses. And if you turn your attention to, to verse 8 of Psalm chapter 32, you will see that God also speaks. God speaks to David and to all who are righteous and upright in heart. Uh, he says in verse 8, I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. Well, brothers and sisters, just a few minutes ago, just a few moments ago, I explained that we cannot hide our sin from God, that God sees. But I also want you to see that if you know God, there's great comfort to be found in the fact that God sees you and God knows you. In verse 8, God promises that his eye is on the righteous, that his eye is on those who have confessed their sins and whose transgressions have been forgiven. Brothers and sisters, this is a promise for you. It is a promise intended to be a word of comfort to you. This promise is a blessing to God. For God to have his eye on you is a statement of God's favor. And we can clearly see this by simply flipping over to both Psalm 33 and, and 34. So, Trying to make life easy on you who might have young children there at home. In Psalm 33, verses 18 and 19, we read, Behold, the eye of the Lord is on those who fear him, on those who hope in his steadfast love, that he may deliver their soul from death and keep them alive in famine. We read that God's eyes are turned to those who fear him. He delivers them from death. He saves them. He is their redeemer. And in Psalm chapter 34, verses 15 through 17, again, this is David writing. We read, the eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous and his ears toward their cry. The face of the Lord is against those who do evil to cut off the memory of them from the earth. When the righteous cry for help, the Lord hears and delivers them out of all their troubles. 
Well, God's faith is towards the righteous. It is a statement of God's favor. He hears their prayers. He hears when they cry for forgiveness. He delivers them from their troubles. He delivers them from their sin. Well, King David, he knew of God's deliverance and protection. Uh, Look back at at verses 6 and 7 of of Psalm 32. Therefore, let everyone who is godly offer prayer to you at a time when you may be found. Surely in the rush of great waters, they shall not reach him. You are a hiding place for me. You preserve me from trouble. You surround me with shouts of deliverance. So when the waters or, or trouble come, the godly will not be overwhelmed. When a virus spreads across the globe, the godly know that they are eternally secure. When you're not able to gather together with your church family, when life has been upended, don't despair. The waters will not overwhelm you. David knew the comfort and protection and deliverance of the God who had his eye on him. David knew the blessing and security and deliverance of the God who is gracious enough to cover his sin, to send his son to cover his sin. Our God is a hiding place. He preserves us during times of trouble. He surrounds us with shouts of deliverance because he has forgiven us. Well, what does that mean for for you? It means that you should find your security in the Lord just as David did. You know, I think one of the reasons we want to hide our sin so much is because confessing our sin feels risky. What might others think of me? Will I lose respect? Might I lose my job? Might I lose my position or reputation in church or with whatever community I have? But friends, self-protection is a false sense of security. Security comes in the Lord and in his forgiveness and protection alone. That is the security that David points us to in this psalm. I hope it is the security that you are preaching to yourself during an uncertain time and pointing your children and your friends and your family to as well. Notice what it is that David exhorts the godly to do in verse 6. He exhorts them to pray to the Lord. He exhorts them to cry out to the Lord. He encourages them to offer a prayer of repentance. Why? Because he is confident. He knows that the Lord will forgive and restore those who turn to him in repentance. He is confident that God will deliver and that God will protect. He knows these things because he has experienced these things. Look at verse 5. When David confessed his sin, the Lord forgave the iniquity of his sin. And it is out of that experience that David exhorts the godly to cry out to the Lord as well. So he he writes at the beginning of verse 6, Therefore, because God was faithful to forgive my sin, be confident, you who are godly and, and righteous. Pray to the Lord. Be confident that he will be faithful to you to forgive you as well. Be confident that, that if you cry to the Lord, he will forgive. And brothers and sisters, if David had this confidence in the Lord's forgiveness, what greater confidence should you have now that Christ has come? You can be confident that God hears your prayers because the blood of Christ has covered your sin. And Christ, your great high priest, is sitting at the right hand of the Father interceding for you. You can offer prayers in great confidence that God will be found. Again, for for those of you who may be listening in and do not know the Lord, David's exhortation in verse 6 to offer prayers to God when he may be found should 
should spark a sense of urgency in you. And friends, this life is momentary. It is a vapor. Only God knows the span of your life. David's message is to confess your sins now. Now is the day of salvation. Confess now when God may be found. Don't make the mistake of presuming you will live to see the next hour or day, the next week or month, the next year or decade. The the news of the last few weeks is certainly a reminder of that. Offer a prayer to God now while he may be found. Put your trust in him who is a hiding place, place of safety, place of comfort, place of rest, place of forgiveness. And church, when, when God speaks in verse 8, he doesn't just promise that his eye will be on you. He promises to instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. He promises you his counsel. Now, it's a bit unclear in verse 9 whether it is, is still the Lord speaking or if it is back to David. But either way, I think the meaning remains the same. Listen to the counsel of the Lord. Don't be like a horse or a mule without understanding, which must be curbed with bit and bridle, or it will not stay near you. Now, I don't know how many of you have seen Toy Story 4, so spoiler alert, kids, but Woody and Buzz and all the rest of the toys no longer belong to Andy. They now belong to a little girl named Bonnie. And in one of the early scenes of the movie in in Toy Story 4, Bonnie, during craft time at her school, makes a new toy out of a spork that has been discarded in the trash. You know, a spork, like half spoon, half fork. I think they only give them at Taco Bell. Uh, She puts googly eyes on him and a mouth, and he comes alive. She does not know this, but he does. And she names him Forky, and Bonnie loves Forky. The only problem is, when Bonnie leaves or, or goes to sleep and all the toys come to life, Forky has a burning desire to jump back into any trash can that he comes across. He still thinks he is a piece of trash because that is where he came from. Uh, This is a problem because it will devastate Bonnie to lose Forky. So Woody takes responsibility for Forky. Our our hero, the cowboy Woody, he takes responsibility for Forky. Uh, But no matter how much Woody tells him that he is now a toy that Bonnie loves, that because he is a toy, he has responsibility to Bonnie, uh, Forky takes every chance he can to escape and hop back in a trash can. Uh, Over and over again, Woody rescues him and returns him to Bonnie. It's a recurring gag in the movie, and it's hilarious. It has made Forky my youngest son's favorite character by far. But Forky is an example of someone who is without understanding. He would not stay near to Bonnie. He would not stay near to Woody. Like a horse or a mule, Woody had to use other means. He had to use force to steer him in the direction that he should go. He would not listen Brothers and sisters, don't be a forky. That's the message of verse 9, and it's really one of the main messages of the psalm because King David was a forky. Psalm is both an encouragement to us, but it's also a warning to us. David ignored the instruction and the counsel of the word of God when he chose to commit adultery with Bathsheba and when he murdered Uriah. He knew the commands of the Lord. He knew these things were wrong, yet he pursued them anyway. In in Psalm 1, we find the famous description of the blessed man, and verse 2 of that psalm says that the blessed man is one who delights in the law of the Lord. David didn't do that. He didn't live as one who had been blessed by the Lord. He didn't delight in the counsel of God's word. Brothers and sisters, God has revealed himself to you in his word. 
He instructs you by his word. His word reveals those things that please him. He has commanded you in the way that you should go. When you sin, you are ignoring the instruction of the Lord. You are ignoring his counsel. But David's story didn't didn't stop there just with ignoring God's word and pursuing his own way. Uh, From verse 4 of this psalm, we see that the Lord brought conviction to David over his sin. David said it was the Lord's hand that was heavy upon David. The suffering that David endured as a result of his sin was a work of the Lord. It was a, a gentle turn of the bit or bridle intended to cause David to turn from his sin, to restore him to a right relationship with God. I do want to be clear, not all suffering is the result of personal sin. We see David suffering unjustly many times in Scripture. But David's suffering in this case was brought on by his sin, by his personal sin. But this suffering that he was enduring, what he describes in verses 3 and 4 of Psalm 32 was a kindness of the Lord. It was a gift of the Lord that was intended to draw David to repentance. Well, brothers and sisters, our conscience... The work of the Spirit in our lives convicting us of sin is a gift of God in our lives. It's another way that the Lord instructs you and teaches you and guides you. It's intended to put you back on the path of righteousness. It is God's gentle guiding of you, a gentle pull of the bit and the bridle. So don't ignore God's Spirit or distract yourself from the burden of your sin. Listen to the Spirit's gentle guiding. Listen to the conviction of the Word of God brought by the Spirit. In Hebrews 12, we read that God disciplines the one that he loves. And the author of Hebrews puts it this way in verse 11. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. But later, it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. And God sometimes teaches and trains through discipline. He certainly did in David's life. It's a harder pull on the bit and bridle, but one that he gives you out of love that your life may yield the peaceful fruit of righteousness. Well, David unfortunately ignored his conscience as well. He ignored the Spirit's work in his life, at least for a time. Uh, So the Lord sent the prophet Nathan to confront him. This work, the Spirit used Nathan's words to convict David and to drive him to repentance. It was Nathan's words that led David to write his confession in Psalm 51. Brothers and sisters, God has put others in your life to teach you his ways as well, to correct you when you go astray. God has given you the church. The Christian life is not meant to be lived alone. We need each other, even when we are unable to gather in the same place in large numbers, we need each other. Do you have someone in your life encouraging you toward Christ-likeness? Do you have someone in your life willing to offer a word of rebuke when needed? Do you have someone to whom you can confess sin? If not, I encourage you to, to seek this out. And brothers and sisters, let me encourage you also to be this type of friend and and this type of Christian to others. Particularly if you are, are more mature in the faith, if, if you have been walking with the Lord for some time. Seek others out to disciple and to guide. Seek others out whom you can instruct in the ways of the Lord, who you can encourage to stay on the path of righteousness. God has given us the church for so many reasons. 
I hope some of those reasons might even become clear as we are unable to gather for a few weeks. Uh, But one of the reasons is that we are to put other people in our lives to pass on the instruction and the counsel of the Lord. And again, let the words of verse 9 be an encouragement to you. God is so incredibly gracious. He provides his counsel to you as a blessing. If you are his, he will not leave you in your sin. He who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ, Philippians 1.6. The Lord's instruction and correction is the act of a loving heavenly father to bring you back to the blessing of a right relationship with him. And friends, we want to be in right relationship with God because as David writes in verse 10, many are the sorrows of the wicked. They don't know the blessing of forgiveness and fellowship with the Lord. God's eye is against them. His face is turned away from them. They don't enjoy his protection and favor. They don't live according to God's word and their end is destruction. But steadfast love surrounds the one who trusts in the Lord. God's love surrounds us it envelops us, it comforts us, and protects us. And church, notice that, that all of this should lead you to praise and worship our gracious God who forgives. This is David's closing exhortation to you from verse 11 of this psalm. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, O righteous, and shout for joy, all you upright in heart. That is the end of the matter. As what you are to do in light of God's blessing of forgiveness and his promise of counsel and protection and deliverance. You're to be glad and rejoice, to shout for joy. You're to give him praise. You, like David, are to tell others of his goodness and his mercy, his forgiveness, that they might be blessed of the Lord as well. Brothers and sisters, no matter your circumstances, you can rejoice because your sins have been covered by the blood of Christ. No matter your problems, no matter the current news headlines, no matter what life might look like tomorrow or two weeks from now, You can rejoice because you are known by God. He has his eye on you. He has given you his counsel. You can rejoice because you are forgiven. Let's pray. Um, Father, we come to you and marvel that you have offered forgiveness through the blood of Jesus Christ. Uh, Lord, we do not deserve that forgiveness. Lord, we deserve to bear the penalty for our sin for all time. We deserve death, we deserve hell, we deserve your judgment, and yet you have been gracious and merciful. You offer yourself as a protection, a deliverer, if we will turn in repentance and faith. Lord, we pray that we would do that every day and we would rejoice in salvation that is found in you and the forgiveness that is found in you, Lord, that our circumstances will not overwhelm us. The waters will not overwhelm us because we have security in you and you alone. Lord, we praise you and we pray that we would tell others of this glorious truth. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.